Good morning, thank you. Um, many of you know me, uh, even though I've got this strange little accent thing going on. I grew up here in Westerville. I really did. I went to Westerville South High School and then went to Otterbein, really far away. And, but uh, I've been in Russia for 13 years now, since 97 mostly. And we speak Russian mostly to house our son, uh, Artur, William Arthur. He uh, speaks more Russian than he does English. And um, just for a number of years, we went. I went just speaking Russian. So I have this little Russian twang. Some people call it Alabama, call it Russia. I don't know. But um, grew up here. It's great to be home. It really is. And it's great to have my friend Dima that was with me. But he's terribly sunburned today. He couldn't even get out of bed. It was funny. I told him the sun is a little different here in, in Columbus than it is way up in the, it'd be like the middle of Canada for him. And he said, oh, no, I, I know, I, we can, I can spend four hours in the sun at the pool, no problem. And he is red. And so, but it's great to have him here and kind of connect two worlds. But it's also great to just be here and, and be able to speak English all the time, which is, and I'm telling you, even though I speak Russian pretty well, uh, I, I made probably my biggest mistake in the Russian language that I've made in my 13 years. That, and, and it happened this year. And you, here in Columbus, you had a lot of snow this summer, uh, this winter. And uh, Russia, we tend to have a little bit of snow ourselves, and <clears throat> it was it was a snowy year for us as well. And in Russia, in Sarata, uh, we have uh, the communism gave us two choices of buildings, and all the architecture there is really two styles. It's either a five-story building or a nine-story building. But besides that, there's really not a big change. And so we live, uh, well, my family and I, we live in a, a nine-story building. It's very long, and the roofs are all the roofs are all kind of kind of flat. There's really a small slant, and almost every Early, late winter, early spring, we have the same problem where the snow melts on the roof, and if it's not if it's not shoveled off, uh, the snow will melt and, and it turns to ice. And it, when it refreezes it with the, at night, and then eventually the, the weather's going to warm up and it's going to slide off the roof. So we had it's about ten people this year that died from from ice coming off the roof, and you, you learn to learn to walk as far away from the buildings as you can because it's it's dangerous. And there was a man about. Uh, really a hundred yards from our house that he was standing on the just standing outside of a pharmacy just waiting for his for his uh, family inside and a 200 pound piece of ice came down and hit his neck and he was dead immediately and my son and I were walking and about about a week later we we're walking and then the very same spot I mean you can look down and see the the stain on the snow uh, the very same spot there's another there's a, an older gentleman standing there and so I went up just yeah, good Christian guy that I am, wanted to, wanted to help in any way I could. And I walked up, and here's what I said. Now, if, in Russian, if you, I mean, one letter, one ending to your word, you say it just a little bit differently, and the meaning is completely different. And uh, to give you the example, I went up to him, and I said, Sir, uh, I just want to help you and tell you that and the only way to say it is just the way it is. Uh, not long ago, a 200-pound booger fell off, the, fell off the roof and killed a man right here in this very spot. And I, I mean, I don't know that I've ever said that word in church before, but, and, and, and I said, sir, you got to be really careful. And he looked at me like I was from a different planet. And then, and I said, uh, no, really, you got to be careful. And my son is looking at me, just shaking his head. And I said, no, really, it happened. Last week it came down, it cracked his neck. He's dead. It was in all the newspapers. And he said, dad, it was, it was an icicle. It was a chunk of ice. 
And I said, that's what I, and I immediately realized what I said. I grabbed his arm, we flew out of there. And the man, I'm a, my face is red as my friend Dima's was right now. But, and so if you see my wife sometime, probably next year, you ask her, she's got a lot of these stories. Well, but this is probably my worst one. But, so it is really good to be home. And it's great to speak English, it is. Let me tell you another story, it's a little different. I was in the, um, so a few years back. And if you've got your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 6. That's where we're going to be heading today. And the, the sermon title, as you've heard, is Weathering, Weathering the Storms. But I was in, we, I took two of my friends and the three of us, we went to really the only good vacation spot in Russia for sun. If you want skiing, we've got that. But uh, if you want sun, you, the, the Black Sea is the only place to go. It's the area that's being built up right now by the Russian government uh, for the, getting ready for the Winter Olympics that will happen in three and a half years. They're really building this area to be... The, like the third major capital of Russia behind Moscow and St. Petersburg. So we went down early September a few years back. And in Saratov, it's already getting kind of cold. And, and we, uh, we're white as can be. So we really want to just go and hang out on the beach. And so a couple of days later, it's been 85 every day. We've been on the beach a couple of days. And we go out in the morning, the third day, and there's signs everywhere that say, swim at your own risk. No swimming allowed type of thing. And the, even the guards were out you know, with their megaphones saying, Please don't, whatever you do, don't swim. By law, we have to save you if you get in the water. If you, we, we have to save you. So we've got kids, we've got families. So think of our families. It was really kind of funny. Think of our families before you get in the water. And uh, we saw the waves. The waves were probably twice as high as they had been, in which for us, it really just made us want to get in the water more. And so we, we, at first we said, well, we'll just try it out a little bit. And we put, put our feet in the water, and it was great. And we w- probably went out to our waist high, and we thought, this is easy. So we started swimming. And out of the day before, there was probably 50,000 people swimming. Today, there's three, and uh, we were them. But <clears throat> And my friends, we swam a little bit, and my friends got, went, off to the, went off to our towels. And I said, well, give me one more try on the, on the waves, and I'll come in. And so... What do you call it? Like the belly surfing or whatever. So I just decided I'm going to do one more. And it turns out that the waves in Russia are just a little bit different than the waves that we experience in, in say, Ocean City or Florida, like that where I've been. And and the and the beach there, we don't have sandy beaches. We have rocky beaches. I mean, it's Russia. Everything has to be harder. And so um, we have, it's just a rocky beach. There's no sand at all. And so I get on the, get on the wave. And before, earlier, I'd been able to get off the wave in time. But their waves kind of take you straight down. They don't ease you up to the beach. They, once, they get, once they start weakening, they just take you straight down. And I couldn't get off the wave in time. And, and I, it, the wave threw me onto the rocks. And I cut my head open. And really, it was like a, I wasn't out cold, but it was a standing eight count, no question. I was, I was woozy. And it took me a couple minutes to really catch my breath. And I was above water, no problem. My friends didn't even know anything was wrong. The little cut was getting washed by the waves. Nobody could see the blood. And, uh, but before, the, before I came to, uh, I was probably a lot further out in the, in, the, in the sea than I wanted to be. And the waves had come in and pulled me out. The waves had come in and pulled me out. And I looked back, and all of a sudden I realized, and I, I, mean, I, I remember looking up to God and saying, this might not end well. This is probably the only time I felt like I'm in trouble here. I mean, I'm a, I was a tough guy, but listen, I swim well, but I, I could really feel that this is, a, this is a situation that I might not have been in before. And I, I prayed and I said, God, I need you here. And I put my, put my head down and just for about 10 minutes, just put everything I had into, into getting across these, these waves and getting back to the, uh, to the bank. 
And, uh, I mean, once I was really tired, and I just looked up, and I thought, well, I'm going to find myself out of, out of danger. And I opened my eyes, and really, I mean, I'd probably gone 50 meters, and I was still a long way away. And I, and I started to take a break a little bit, and I felt myself losing all the ground I just made up. And, I, again, I just cried out to God and said, I need you here. I need you. And I put my arms down, and just as, as hard as I could. I mean, really, if I wouldn't have made it, there wasn't anything left. And I, I finally I got to the point where I could feel that the waves weren't pulling me back out anymore. And I crawled onto that, these rocks. And my friends came up. And then they could see the blood coming down. And uh, the, the guards came over and said, we tried to tell you. Yeah. And I just said, well, I'm an American. That's, this, you know, we're, we take risks. <laughs> and, uh, but this, is, this was my storm. It was. And, and it really, without God's help, I, I wouldn't have gotten out of it. So let's, I'm going to be talking today about weathering, weathering, God's sto- weathering storms. How to weather the storm and it's clear that we're in one of three positions we're either in a storm right now ourselves or we're coming into one or we're coming out of one and so let's read math we're going to take a look at two scriptures right now mark chapter 6 starting in verse 45 and then we'll go to matthew but mark 6 uh, mark 6 verse 45 immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to Bethsaida. While he dismissed the crowd, after leaving them, he went, on to, went up on a mountainside to pray. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples staring at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was, out, he was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately spoke to them and said, Take courage inside, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Now, if you look at Matthew chapter 14, we'll start at verse 22. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get in the boat and go on ahead of him on their other side, while he dismissed the crowd. After, after he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves, because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it's I. Don't be afraid. Again, we're either coming into a storm, we're in a storm, or we're about to enter one, or, or we're coming out of one. Let me give some background here on, on this scripture. Uh, Jesus had been rejected in his hometown and had sent out his disciples to, to minister themselves. And in fact, they came back, uh, and this was the first time that they had gathered together since they'd been sent out. And they were just so excited about the, the ministry they had. They said that demons fled, people were healed. And uh, at that same time, John the Baptist had been killed. And all the disciples came together, and this, it, was with this, it was at this moment that uh, Jesus fed the 5,000. And so and if you look at the scripture where he fed the 5,000, it said his disciples came to him. And it was already late in the day. And he said, they said, Jesus, let's send the people away so that they have time to get, some, get something to eat. So it was already late in the afternoon, if not evening already. And Jesus said, well, you feed them. And, uh, and he said he already knew. Uh, he said he said, said this, you feed them to test them because they knew what he was already going to do. And so he feeds the 5,000, and immediately the people see this great miracle and decide that they want to make him king by force. So Jesus goes down, and, and, 
the King James Version says he, he constrained his disciples to get into the boat and go to the other side. And the, the NIV says he made them, but the, he almost literally by force said, gentlemen, I know we always travel together. I know that we, we, you're my closest friends, but you, there's a reason you have to get in this boat right now and go. Are you with me? And now, when I'm, when I'm reading Scripture and run across a, a difficult passage, I like to ask questions. I really do. And when the answers to those questions usually open up the Scriptures better to me. And one question I ask myself is, why did Jesus, it says, he, he constrained them, he forced them to get into the boat? And the second question is, if you look at it, it was evening when he put him in the boat. And then it says it was evening when he went up on the mountain, he looked down and, and he saw the disciples already halfway across the lake, but they're, they're not making any more progress. They are, they're suffering, they're struggling. And he says, and, but he didn't come out to them until it says the fourth watch of the night. So at best, it's six hours that they've been rowing and that Jesus has noticed them struggling. And then only after at least six hours did he go out to them. So my question was, why did he wait so long? Why did he wait? When he saw his brothers, when he saw his, his closest friends struggling, why did he take so long to, to go out to them? And I, and I really do believe that the, the answer is, is powerful. It's, the answer is it's often God uses our struggles more than our victories or his miracles to more completely reveal himself to us. Do you hear me? It's often God uses our struggles more than our victories or his miracles to more completely reveal himself to us. Now, there are different types of storms that we face in life. Some storms we face because of our own sin or disobedience. And we're going to face a, a mighty storm. As Ross said, I work with uh, international students. We have probably a thousand students from India, Africa, Asia uh, that come to Saratov. It's, it's much cheaper to become a doctor in, in Russia than it is in the U.S. A, a year's Tuition in the room and board goes for about $5,000 versus probably 50 here. And so we have many students from Africa come. And a, a good salary back in Africa is, say, I don't know, $500 a month in some good places. And a doctor will make 5000 So most of our students, somehow, some way, their families are putting together for aunts and uncles, grandpas, grandpas, fathers and mothers, putting together all the money they can to provide for their kids to, to in, in turn, when they become doctors, to help provide for the rest of the family. And those are most of the people that I, I pastor. And November was a tough month for us in ministry. It really was. Because every month, every week at the end of the service, somebody would come up and say, Pastor, can I, I really need to talk to you. And I've learned that that's usually, in my context, not a good thing. Um, one, one girl came to me and she said, I really need to talk to you. She said, um, I'm pregnant and I'm sure. I, I just know, I just wanted to let you know that I'm going to have the abortion. That's the only way. I, I just... It's the only way. My family has just given so much and sacrificed so much that I don't, there's just no other way. And it, it, the story ends well. Uh, although she's facing a massive storm caused by her own mistake. Uh, she's back home in Cameroon now. She, we, my wife and I prayed with her, talked with her. She's having a baby. She'll have it here probably in a month. Uh, it looks to be a boy. If she's already got a name, she's, she's just a different person today than she was then. But the storm in her life is raging. She had to give up her studies. She had to come back and live with her family. And when she, the plan is to, for her to come back next year, for, and she'll have, she has four more years left of studies, but, and the baby will live with her parents. She's going to be facing some, some self-made storms now and in the future. Are you with me? There's another, the following week, another girl came to me and said, Pastor, I really need to talk to you. 
And I said, well, we're going to do our leaders meeting. And can we meet after the lead? And a tear starts rolling down her face. I said, all right, I got it. And uh, she said, uh, two months ago, I was pregnant. And I had this voice inside of my head that said, just do it quickly. Just, just end it. And, and I did. And now it's been two months. I can't sleep at night. I can't go to class and concentrate. All I think about is the mistake I made. And clearly, because of our own sin, our own disobedience, we can create massive storms in our lives where the waves wash over us. Amen? But there are other storms. There are storms that the enemy sends. And there are storms, according to the scripture, there are storms that come from God. There are times where God sends us winds against our sails to accomplish his purposes. We waited six hours for his guys to suffer a little bit, to grow tired, to, to just to suffer, to struggle before he came out to them. Do you follow me? He waited a long time before he came out to them. Why? Because this was a storm they had to face. As we say, the greater your destiny, the greater your influence for God will be in the future, the stronger your storms will be from him today. Now that goes completely counterculture to, to what we hear in most churches in Russia. And most Americans that come into our churches in Russia, uh, they come from one little stream of theology that's, that teaches us that, that you, uh, if you come to Christ, you have to be rich, you have to be healthy, you have to be successful, you have to be a, a leader, you're the head and not the tail. You've heard this, right? I mean, it's a, it's a prosperity message that's, not say nine out of ten American preachers that come in, they see the poverty that we face with and they say, this, what are you doing? You need to have more faith. If you had faith, if you were a real Christian, you would have all you needed. You need to be driving Mercedes. How can you reach the rich if you're not rich yourself? And it's had tragic results. People that come to Christ believe in this message a few years later expect that, hey, life is going to be easy. As soon as I become a Christian, as soon as I give my life to Christ, hey, just wait for the, for the mainly wait for the cash to roll in. Some people come in expecting uh, to be healed, and they're not. They expect to be, to be get out of their poverty, and they don't. And so what happens a few years later? Uh, and, and in fact... Uh, it's tragic. In fact, they say you know, this is, this, the claims that you make about Christ are completely false. It's true. The claims, those claims about Christ are completely false. If our, me- our message is certainly not that when we come to Christ, all of our difficulties go away. All, and, uh, unless you've been a Christian for six minutes or less, sure. It, 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 our message is not that when we come to Christ, we don't have any difficulties, we won't have any storms, we don't, that we're going to be, our pockets are always going to be full. That is not our message. Our message is a greater one. Our message is a better one. Our message is a, a more powerful one. Our message is that no matter what the storm, our God is with us. And there are just a few ob- observations that I would make from this scripture and certainly the first one is jesus compelled them into the winds some strong some storms do come from god they do and in fact sometimes it's only the storms of god that can help us to grow it's only the storms of god that can bring us to christ certainly it was only blindness and being knocked off a donkey that's going to bring such a strong character as the apostle paul to christ are you with me? Now listen, sometimes it happens individually, but sometimes it happens on a national basis. Uh, Russia, in 1998, they, they'd gone through like a, a, I'd say a spiritual revival in the early 90s when, 
when things had just opened up. But in 1998, our church was about, a church of about a couple hundred people. And we had one church in one town. And when we, would, we were trying to start a new church in another town, and we, we were doing spiritual surveys to find out what the people of that town believed. And it was funny. Many of them said, I think the exact number was 92% said that they considered themselves a Christian, but 88% considered themselves an atheist. So it's kind of hard to work out that 4% how they do that. But, um, and in that, we, just, we really did get a feel for what the, what the people believe spiritually. And it's, you know, nothing. And, and that's it's true for Russians. They go to church twice a week. Or Russians that go to church once every 10 years. Just, there's no understanding of, of who Christ is or anything biblical. And when we were talking to the people in this city, they said, look, you're an American. Great job that you came here. But we don't need spiritual things. We don't need new churches. We need finances. Our country will be much better off if you just open up new factories, you send in investment, just pour in, the, pour in money into Russia through investment, and that's when you'll see Russia become stronger, become better, and that's what we need. The missionary man go away, bring this investment. But something happened in, the, in August of 1998. Uh, the, Russia, the government defaulted on their debt, and within the hours of the announcement, $1 used to be 6 rubles, it went to 10. And then within a week, it went to 20. And, with the, but, and it ended at that time at 34. And what that meant is what used to, what used to cost six rubles now cost you 34. Your savings that you had has, has been divided into five. And so many people that had money to, saved up to, to buy an apartment now could buy a, a moped. You know. And many people that were saving up to buy a refrigerator could now buy their favorite book. It was a tragic time financially for our country. But spiritually, I've never seen anything like it. It was wonderful. It was a wonderful time because all the, the Russians that all of a sudden had seen progress, they'd seen this financial growth after this the absolute misery that they'd been facing when they stand in lines for bread and food. Now that they'd seen this improvement, they were thinking, ah, it's just going to keep growing. It's going to keep growing, and everything's going to be fine here in a few years. And all of a sudden, it's dropped off again. We saw a spiritual hunger in our people that. It just, it really it's been, it hasn't been rivaled since. Our church today is a church of, we've got eight churches around our state and 1,100 people, and we're one of the largest churches in all of Russia. And it was because of just this, the end to the myth that all we need is better finances. All we need is, the thing that we can root ourselves in is this, you know, improvement in our financial lives. It took a storm, it took a financial storm to, to make people more receptive and more hungry for things that were more important. Do you hear me? And now listen, it's funny. They, we mention all the time, it says, the Russians say, you know, it feels like we're going through financial birthing pains. We had this crisis, and, you know, it's like there's contractions, and they seem to get more and more uh, frequent and stronger and closer together. And they, their thought is, what's coming next? And, uh, and it's a good question for all of us. Uh, another observation I make uh, is that Jesus saw them in their storm and came to them in their trouble. Again, our message certainly can't be is that if you come to Christ, everything is perfect. Every, just you'll never have problems. We had a woman that um, I, was, I teach personal evangelism training in, in Russia and in different churches throughout. And we, I was doing some training and we went outside to, to speak with people. And there was a woman on a park bench crying her eyes out. And Drug addiction is a big problem for usually men 25 and under, and it's a, it's a 
a great problem. Here there's a woman, probably 50, just crying because her, husband, her uh, son had already stolen most of everything in her house. And uh, last night he had stolen the TV, the only the last thing remaining. And she said, I don't know what to do. He's so addicted. I just, and it's been going on for years. I don't know what to do. And the lady sitting next to him, she, she was a young Christian. She said, you know what you need to do? Just turn your life over to Christ. He'll give you love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faith, self-control. What more do you need? Your whole life will just be perfect. Just turn your life over and he'll just take away all your problems. And I said, great job. Let, let, me, let me talk to her a little bit as well. Amen. That's not our message. Do you agree? Our message is so much a better one. Our message isn't that God takes away our difficulties. In fact, from this scripture, we know that in, in, sometimes God sends us difficulties to build us, to, to strengthen us. One of my missionary heroes is a, a, a woman named Helen Rosevier. She was a missionary in the Congo for about 15 years. She was uh, a medical missionary but preached the gospel, and she just really dedicated her life to God. She was a 40-year-old virgin, never been married, and just said, my husband is Christ. And I'm just in a contract type thing. But the political winds changed in the Congo overnight, and the, the military came in to take, uh, really take control of everything that was Western. And if any, it just was looked at as being evil. And so the military came in, overran her hospital, and she was savagely raped by a Congo soldier. Now here's a storm that certainly she didn't cause. But in, in, her, mem- in her diary, she writes uh, of just the, the, the real spiritual the, you know, pit that she was in based on this. She cried out, God, what did I do? Or did I have a lack of faith? What was, what, why did this happen? And then at the end, she's very elderly now. She says, you know what? I didn't get every answer to every question I asked. But what I did get is complete peace to know that God was with me. I felt no shame. I felt no uh, dirtiness before God like I had betrayed him. But, and I looked, I looked back later. Now that it's, it happened long ago, I can look back now and say it was one of the best things that happened to me in my life. How you say that, I don't know. But she says, the ministry I had before that took place was nothing, just nothing compared to the ministry I have right now. She turned it into a worldwide speaker and was a great comfort to many women facing the same situation. Saved saved many lives. You hear me? The greater your destiny, the greater your ability to serve Christ tomorrow, the more powerful the waves of the storm today. You follow me? Listen, again, our message isn't that we're, not, that we're going to have complete peace all the time. We're going to be free of problems. Our, our, our promise is so much greater. It's that no matter what difficulties we face, he's with us. Jesus is up on the mountain looking down. He sees us. He's with us. And in the right moment, he'll join us in the boat and get us to the other side. You hear me? Otherwise, the results are catastrophic. If we promise someone that our life is going to be perfect here on earth, the minute it's not, they're gone. But that's not our message. And I think the love of God, the great love of God, is more powerfully shown not in the absence of difficulties, but in the fact that he's with us through every difficulty. He promises us. In fact, you know, one of his names is the God who sees. In Genesis, uh, Hagar has been mistreated by his by, by Sarah and she runs off and she's crying and she doesn't know what to do and she's, she's about ready to have her son and she's just miserable and God comes and speaks to her and gives her a promise and she calls God El Roy and it's one of the names of God she says 
He is the God who sees. He's the God who sees me in my distress. Again, I say that the, our message, uh, this, the idea of God's love, and so much more powerfully seen, not in the absence of difficulty. That will happen in, in heaven for eternity. But today, God's love is more powerfully seen when he's with us in the storm. His promise that he's with us no matter what. You follow me? Well, my, my brother, one of my closest friends, he passed away a few years back. And to illustrate my point, uh, I went out at the funeral, and it was one of the most difficult days of my life. And probably 50, 50 people came to the funeral that hardly knew my brother, but they knew me. And they just wanted to, they wanted to help me. They wanted to support me. And in that moment, I knew their love more than any party we ever had, more than any cookout we'd ever been a part of, more than any phone call, email, Facebook comment. In that moment, when they were just there to say, I know you're hurting, I'm with you. That's when I knew their love. And friends, it's the same way with God. His love is not shown as powerfully in the absence of problems. Sometimes his, his love is shown most powerfully during our problems, when he's right there with us to take us to the other side. And now, kind of my, my last point would be this, is that Jesus often reveals himself much more during the storms. In, in Exodus 33, it talks about that Moses wanted to, see, wanted to see God. He said, God, show me your, show me your face. And God said, I, now, listen, here's what I'll do. I'll put my hand on you, and he'll cover you, and you go in this little cave, and, and I'm going to walk by, and it says, I'm going to pass by you. And as he passes by, he's, he's given his own name. He says, I'm the God of love. And, and he removes his hand as he walks by. And Moses gets to see God in a whole new way, in a way that no one to that point had seen him before. And I look at the scriptures, and it says that Jesus was going to pass by them. But I read it a little bit differently. I don't know that he was necessarily going to just pass by them and wave and say, good luck, I'll see you on the other side. I believe that it says it a little bit differently. He was passing by them, not passing them by. This was a moment where Jesus, in this difficulty... Not in, in, in a peaceful moment, but in a, a difficult moment, was revealing himself to his disciples more than in, every, than in any time before. And uh, it's funny, but kind of my last point here is to say that the disciples, they didn't recognize Jesus. They're kind of rowing backwards, and they're looking straight back at the bank where they came from, and Jesus walks out, and at least the ones that are rowing can see a man coming towards them. He's, they're looking straight at him. And it, they didn't recognize him. They thought he was a ghost. And it's so true that we can do the same thing in our own problems. If we have a storm that we're facing, usually we cry out and say, just end this right now. Just get this over with ASAP. I'm telling you, there's a better prayer. There really is. If you're strong enough, the prayer is not end this. The prayer is, God, I know you see me. I know you love me. Get in the boat with me. Get the most out of this situation. If you're trying to teach me something, let me have it. But don't remove these storms. Get in the boat with me. And you have a promise that, he's, that he will. You follow me? Our promise is great. If you're facing a storm right now today that's, that's man-made because of your sin, because of disobedience, and if you're facing a storm that's raging, there's one option. Today, come before us and pray. Get down on your knees and, and repent before God. Make a 180-degree change. And say, I'm going to live to please God. I'm not going to live to please, please myself anymore. I live for Christ, not for myself. But if you're in a storm that maybe you're in a storm today. Or you're coming into one. Where God is trying to prepare you. Where you have a, a destiny, a calling that, that God is trying to, 
to buffet, trying to improve in order for you to serve people more powerfully. I encourage you, just don't fight it. Reach out to him and pray and say, God, I know you love me. I know you see me. Come into my storm. Get into the boat and take me to the other side. Let me pray for you right now. God, we love you. You are a great God, loving God, Jesus. Thank you that we have your promise, God, that that you never leave us nor forsake us, that you are the God who sees, that there's not a single storm that we face, not a single problem, not a single difficulty that we face where you are not there, where you don't see us, where you don't react. You're not a deist God that people say that you created the world and then you removed yourself. You are daily active in every aspect of every one of the, the six billion lives on this planet. Jesus, we love you. We turn our lives more forward to you. I pray, God, for the storms that have taken place that, that, that you send to strengthen us. God, I pray that you, you increase them, God. Grow them in our lives that we may be stronger to follow you, to serve you, to comfort others, God. And I pray that we'd see your hand of love, know that you're in the boat with us, and you'll take us to the place that you've called us to go. In Jesus' name, amen. I just wanted to invite you to respond very simply. Like Todd said, if the storm is of your choosing, because of your own actions, because of your own sin, because of just ignorance, grab somebody next to you that you know and trust and have them pray for you. Repent if you need to repent. God's forgiveness is here. He can wash it away and let's move on from it. If your, if your storm is caused by the pain from other people's sin around you that you have no control over, you just need just ask somebody to pray for you. Help you find God's presence. And if it's just a storm that God's creating to make us stronger, you know, kind of the old weightlifting, no pain, no gain. Let's just press in. Let's get strong. Let's find God's presence. Response is simple. Grab a friend, have him pray for you. And if you don't have a friend you're comfortable praying with, we're going to have some people here who can pray for you. Have a great week. God bless.